We rank movies. It's Talky Talk. I'm Brett. I'm here today with TJ. Hey. And it's been three days since our Quentin Tarantino podcast hit your ears like a <laughs> like a Jack Rabbit Slim. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so here we are, back for more, more of a we're we're, we're delving deeper into. QT, Quick Trip. Our favorite Quick Time movies. <laughs> God, this is brutal. So, uh, no, this this we've got two lists we're doing. We're going to be doing our top five, uh, our five favorite Quentin Tarantino movie performances, and our five favorite uses of music in Quentin Tarantino movies. And unlike the uh, previous where we just ranked the Tarantino movies and we combined to have a Talky talk, ultimate list. A consensus that includes all people of importance. Yes. Uh, This is all people of importance, but both opinions will be separated. Yes. (laughs) That way no tiebreakers shall be required. Uh, Or we're really bad at ranking things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Brent, I've got a five-way tie for number five. This is how I get everything that I want. So, uh, what should we start with? Your choice. Let's start with the music. The music. All right. We're going to start with the music. Would you like to go first? Let's start with five and go to one. Okay. And are we going to, if I, if say my number five is your number two, are you going to go ahead and chime in with that? Uh, no, but I'll just have less to say later. Okay. My number five music moment in Tarantino films. I struggled with this one a little bit because uh, it's not really one of my favorites, but I think it's rank in um, just how iconic it is and how much it lent to... We talked about this some on Monday, uh, on the Monday pod, uh, that it lent itself to so many movies, and a lot of them don't do it well. This movie definitely does, though. But it is Stuck in the Middle with You by Cedar's Will in Reservoir Dogs. Um, That song is forever now paired with that moment in that film. It is arguably the most famous use of a song in a Tarantino movie. Yeah. yeah. And I felt like for that reason I couldn't really leave it off. And there was nothing else that... Well, it, it only annoyed me because people used it to annoy me. Mm-hmm. It in the movie is great. It is really great. It's, uh... the You know, we mentioned this on the last podcast, which, uh, like... That's the, that's the moment where it's like using that song that you've heard on classic rock radio over and over again to overlap something truly horrific on your screen. Yeah. And it's just a song that you've always had like good vibes with probably. That's a fun little song. And, uh, honestly I have no idea what that song's about. There's a lot of weird shit in the lyrics of that song. Yeah. I don't know. I'm bad with paying attention to song lyrics anyway, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, that's a good choice. Michael Madsen's probably the most famous moment of his movie career. Yeah, for sure. Well, my number five is uh, one that I know that you're quite fond of, the use of this, because you mentioned it in the last podcast. I'm going to start with the Delphonics. Didn't I blow your mind this time by the Delphonics? And honestly, I'm going with its use throughout Jackie Brown. Nice. It's played during the scene, like you said, uh, like you mentioned, where they have the coffee. And uh, she puts on the, the 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 song for him. She plays a record, right? 
Is that what she has? Yeah, she's got a vinyl. And he goes looking for the cassette at a right. store. Yeah. Uh, and then it plays later in the movie too, and it's it's sort of it's sort of the the Max. It, well, I guess it's the Jackie Brown theme song in Max's head throughout that movie. Right. He is every time he thinks of her, he hears "Didn't I blow your mind this time?" It's actually kind of a great choice of song for the effect that she has on him because she does blow his mind. Yeah, it's a beautiful song too. That uh, that leads to we talked a little bit about is that the real Jackie in that scene, right? And I think that kind of seals the deal for me that it is when she plays this kind of just beautiful little grooving love song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it's great. Yeah, a great kind of score almost for that mm-hmm. for that for Jackie Brown. It's a good pick. It goes with Pam Greer too, really well. Like it's a '70s soul, and so that's the big thing in that movie. Is or I think you know an interesting thing in that movie, at least, is Pam Greer, who was in all those black exploitation movies back in the '70s, like like Bad Girls in Prison or whatever. Right. That uh, that's a great pairing. What's your number four? My number four is from Kill Bill Volume One. It is Nancy Sinatra's. Bang, bang. My baby shot me down. Opening credits? Uh, right after you see the bride. Okay. Bloodied on the floor. Right. Uh, you get that, like, those haunting tones. It's so creepy. Um, kind of the exact opposite of what he does with my number five pick in Cedar's Wheel. It fits the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't really know what the story is yet. So yeah. you just see a bride bloodied on the ground. But it gives you a hint. My yeah. baby shot me down. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great choice. Yeah. Um, it was a great Nancy Sinatra song, too. I just feel like it... Uh, I was kind of trying to split these up a little bit in what they did for the movie, too. So I wasn't just, like, constantly picking the Steelers' will pick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and this kind of felt like the complete opposite of what he had done up until that point. And it was a, a, a creepy song in a creepy moment. Um, setting a really weird vibe for four hours of movies coming up. Yeah, yeah, and that's a that is. I I, I do remember. Uh, I remember the feeling of listening to that in the movie theater. Yeah, when I for saw sure. that. So that's a great choice for that reason. Uh, my number four is also from Kill Bill One. It is Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood by Santa Esmeralda, which Tarantino cuts the an instrumental portion of that song out, and it plays during the beginning of the fight with uh, Oren Ishii. Yeah. And uh, it's, the, it's, it's like the... Well, I'm not going to try to imitate the, the sound of the music on the podcast. <laughs> That was that little moment of silence was my brain talking me out of that. But he, I love the one of my favorite things about Tarantino is the way he mashes up things that seem like they have nothing to do with one another, and yet once he does mash them up, they are seamless and they go together perfectly. And so this is one of my favorite examples of that. This is a it's a disco song. It's a straight up disco song. It's like a ten minute song, by the way. I love it. it's one of my favorite cover songs anyway. But it's a disco song from 
you know, the late 70s, early 80s, and he takes a section and somehow now it fits a a samurai sword fight out in a in an Asian garden. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Right. Disco doesn't go with that. <laughs> Why is disco being played? But it's perfect. Uh, I fell in love with that song due to Kill Bill 1, and so it's a... Uh, it's a strong choice from a movie that has a very strong soundtrack. Yeah. Both Kill Bill movies. They do. Have incredible soundtracks. Yeah, no, that's a fun pick. And interesting, coming up with some of my future picks. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number three? Yeah. It's from Jackie Brown, um, but it is Strawberry Letter 23, which uh, I, and I hope to God I'm getting this right. That is the song that's playing in the beginning, right? In the murder? The murder, yes, yeah, yes. Um, it's so good. It it's actually in Pulp Fiction, apparently. Yeah, not on the but, soundtrack, but just like right. vaguely heard. I read that uh, today too. It's uh, that scene is just so fucking creepy and good. Yeah, and when he circles, when he gets, he convinces him to get in the trunk, yeah. and then he just circles around, and you see the car come back into view, coming into that that like pit area. Yeah. Oh man, you just sense that something bad's gonna happen. Yeah. Well, it starts with the gloves, right? He puts the gloves on, and you're like, "What?" And then he pops the tape in. Oh yeah. Like, what the fuck yeah. is this? And he cranks the volume, and you're like, "Oh no!" And he starts to drive away, and the camera never moves. And then, like, you see him take the turn, and the camera pans up and over, and you see the car coming right back into this. Yeah, like a junkyard kind of area. And, you know, with Tarantino, you never quite know what's what. So like. I have that thought during that scene of like, is this like a different set of characters coming in that are just like passing, right? Passing like a by. Out was happening. Or it's something? like, are we going to go from one thing to like a, something else that's happening next? Next, and then you just realize it's you, you start hearing that song again. That's how you know it's yeah. That's, that's how that's, you know for sure it's the same car. Yeah, is you start hearing Strawberry Letter Twenty Three again. Yeah, and then it never zooms in. You're at the same place you were when you got in the car, but you see just the driver get out, open the trunk, Chris Tucker bitch for two seconds. Yeah. Then a shot to the head and chest, apparently. Yeah. We'll find out later. And uh, uh, the song never stops. And then the song, just like Doppler Effect, drives off. And uh, It's a great choice. It's another one of those songs, like, uh, like it's it's that juxtaposition of something that's like... The, the sort of jingle of that song does not fit with murder. Right. And that's, I don't know. That one, that's what makes it menacing. It, it adds coldness to the killers the way that Steeler's Wheel did to yeah. Madsen. That's the I think that's the effect of those of using songs like that in those scenes. It's just like how how could you do that while you're listening to the, such nice music? Right. <laughs> Why you cut that guy's ear off? That's not that's nice. It's not. not nice. It's a nice song. Be nice. Yeah. What's your number three pick? My number three pick is Down in Mexico by the Coasters, which is the... Do you know what movie that's in? No. This is a song from Death Proof. It is the... Oh, is it the... It is the super sexy... Lap dance. Lap dance scene from Death Proof, which... That actress does a phenomenal job in that scene. She's incredible. Yeah. It's incredibly sexy, and it's... And it's to a coaster song. Yeah. Called Down in Mexico. (laughs) That is creativity. That is incredible. Like, that's taking that song 
and just being like, this is going to be one of the sexiest lap dance songs ever in movies. To this song? Really? Right. And it works. Yeah, that uh, intro in Death Proof is so bizarre. Uh, and it kind of weird how you that scene is so sexy and at the same time kind of launches the events of the little movie where you kind of get a feeling like Stuntman might, might think he's getting picked on a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Mike just never quite seems at ease in that scene. Right. He feels like all eyes are on him and he, yeah. And then you later learn he just has issues with women. Pretty severe issues with Pretty women. severe issues, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, no, that's a super fun pick. Uh, there's a good, a couple of good choices from Death Proof. None of them made my list, but that is a good one. Yeah. For sure. Um, my number two is from Kill Bill Volume 1. A second pick from Kill Bill Volume 1. It's uh, Woohoo from the 5678s. <laughs> oh, awesome. It is the only band that have ever appeared in the movie for Tarantino playing their song. It is a... I cannot think of a better way to describe what you're about to see when that song is being played by that band. With, <laughs> yeah. It's just like, fucking get ready, because about to be 89 people on screen fucking going at it. Um... It was a... I remember being in the theater watching that movie and that song starting and me, like, adjusting. It's like, something's happening. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. This is this is going down. And it's this little, like, K-pop power punk girl band. What are they in it? The Five, Six, Seven, Eights? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great band name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a great choice. Yeah. Again. Yes. It's, it's, it's a great soundtrack. We've picked three of our, like... What seven choices have come from it so yeah. far? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's awesome. That's your number two. That's my number two. Number two for me is Jim Croce's "I Got a Name" from Django Unchained. I thought about it. The only reason I left it off my list is I couldn't tell you what, like, exactly what's going on in the movie. It's he's he is uh, riding after his freedom. Yeah, I, was, I, I looked it up. I watched the clip, and yeah. I was like, "It's good," but I leave it off because for me, without looking I wouldn't I couldn't I knew that movie that song was there I knew it was prominent but I couldn't tell you what exactly was going on but great song and that scene is fucking incredible it is a it is a great song choice because it's it again it gives me a new way to listen to that song which is the I got a name has so much more meaning for Django you know in that moment like yeah. like he has ownership of his own person at right. that point something that he probably never experienced thought he would experience in his life and so not again yeah right so anyway that was a that was one of the things i remember also when i went to see Django Unchained. it really stuck out in the movie ashley and i got in the car and i said what was your favorite part she was like that jim croce song that moment i was like mine too <laughs> it's really good it's really good yeah no it's phenomenal and it launched that song back into or maybe into for the first time, but that song was getting like radio play on Sirius for me anyway. Oh wow, nice! And it still does, yeah. Which is which is neat, yeah. No, it's 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 way up there. What's your number one? My number one's from Pulp Fiction. Okay, I think there's five or six songs you could probably pick. A lot of good choices from here. Pulp Fiction. Uh, but I'm gonna pick the first song you fucking hear <laughs> when you're watching Pulp Fiction. It's uh, Dick Dale and Miserloo. 
is number one for me. Um, I mean, you hear that song anywhere now, you immediately go to Annie Up, You Fucking Pricks Move, and I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you. Mm-hmm. Cut to the awesome font drop down. Yeah. And then just that, almost like a drum roll of a guitar. Right. It's just so good, and it, it's just... it. I mean, we talked about this some where I did with Steelers Will, but holy fuck, if that song's not Pulp Fiction, you know what I mean? Yes. That is sort of the, what you, if you ask people what kind of music they thought would be in the next Quentin Tarantino movie, they'd be like, surf rock? Right. Probably. Yeah. Seems like Even a good Even though guess. this had like that and country and, yeah. you know, funk and fucking Dusty Springfield. I mean, fucking everything in that movie. Yeah. Genre is irrelevant to Quentin. <laughs> He's picking his soundtracks. I mean, his, yeah, his soundtracks are so strong. You you said Pulp Fiction, and I was like, I can think of like five different songs. I could have picked that. I could have picked Urge Overkill. is fantastic. I don't want to steal your number one, but... Urge Overkill is not my number one. It was a, on my first draft of my top five, but uh, I think it would probably be my number six if I if we yeah, get a top maybe. six. I mean... Again, I don't want to take yours away, but there are a few on Pulp Fiction. Go ahead and tell me your number one. Well, my number one is not from Pulp Fiction. Okay. Pulp Fiction didn't make my top five, so I think Pulp Fiction would be numbers like six, six through eleven. Th- yeah, because I was just going to say Teenage Wedding is another fantastic choice for that scene that you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's your number one? My number one is The Lonely Shepherd by Zamfir. <laughs> I don't know. So, do you know... Do you know who Zamfir is? No. Okay, he's this guy who... Zamfir, like, master of the pan flute. Okay. Who would appear... Like our, on, like, like our guy from uh, Serendipity, sort of. Yes. <laughs> so apparently... So I, I don't have any first-hand experience of this. I, I'm too young. With but pan flutes. But, yeah. I'm too young for pan flutes. I've always... My mom keeps telling me, Brent, you're too young for pan flutes. I'm like, I'm 35. Give me a pan flute. No, you're too young. Maybe when you're 38. Uh, show some maturity, we'll get you a pan flute. You have, to, you have to take out the pan flute and feed the pan flute. Right. To clean up after the pan flute. <laughs> that's right, that's right. It's a big responsibility. <laughs> have a baby first, and if you're good with the baby, <laughs> we'll get you a we'll pan, get flute. You a pan flute. So, uh, anyway, this guy would, he, he did like late night infomercials back in the late 70s. Alright. Trying to sell his music. He was like, Zamfir, master of the pan flute. And it would be like 1am on... PBS or whatever, and uh, <laughs> seems about like the right time slot for a master of pin flute, though. Right, that doesn't rule him out as the master. Of the pin flute. I just like that he's like he's just a guy trying to sell cassette tapes or eight tracks on an infomercial, which like we, only Time Life, only Time Order does that anymore. But uh, anyway, his song is called "The Lonely Shepherd," and uh, it is from Kill Bill Volume One. Okay, so four, four. of our ten entries. So do you have three? Had two. You had two. I only had one. You had the five, six, seven, eights, and you also had uh, my baby shot me down. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so killed the yeah. one responsible <laughs> for four of the top ten. Four of our top ten song choices, which backs me up. I think it's his best soundtrack. It I might think, be. It's up there. Now, if you're if you're grading on just like on how good is the music, then Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction yeah, right? Reservoir Dogs are also yeah. really good, but. Uh, and I will also say, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has a very good soundtrack as well. So look forward it's to that. Got a great trailer with the Neil Diamond. Yeah, fantastic. Um, but uh, no, so 
you would recognize the Lonely Shepherd if you heard it. It's the the pan flute song that okay, plays. Okay, yeah, there we go. Now, yeah, it plays in two scenes, and there are two of my favorite scenes in the movie. It plays when she tracks down uh, the the swordmaker, Hattori uh, Hattori Hanso. Hanso. Hattori Hanso. The scene where it starts, the music starts when he starts uh, writing Bill's name in the window on the the fog, the mist on the window. He writes okay. Bill. And uh, he basically, that's when he agrees to make the sword for her. And he goes down in the hole and he's like, you should practice. Uh, it's going to take me a month. You should use it practicing. Okay. And uh, I love that scene. It plays through that whole scene to where it fast forwards and she gets presented the sword. And it's this big moment in the movie. I love the sword stuff in Kill Bill. It's great. And then it comes back and plays at the very end of the movie when uh, she... When you're listening to Bill talk okay. about, does she know her daughter's still alive? Nice. And so when it cuts to, you know, directed by Quentin, written and directed by The Lonely Shepherd, it's what's playing like full volume. Nice. Fucking love that scene. This beautiful little track. And, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it was a goddamn joke before that movie. Right. That I mean, Zamfir. <laughs> it was Zamfir, Master of the Pan Flute, was the <laughs> joke. It was a, a punchline of a song. And then that movie made it beautiful. And I think that's what Tarantino does best. It is, he is very good at that. So, those are our top fives. If you disagree, we don't give a shit. No, I'm just kidding. We uh, would love to hear from you. Yeah, we'll tell you you're wrong in person. Yeah, or even better, on Facebook. And yeah. And all your friends and family. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, so, moving on to part two of our podcast. Let me start this one so that you get to go last. Let's do it. All right. Uh... My number five performance from a Quentin Tarantino directed film is uh, it's Harvey Keitel in Reservoir Dogs. Oh wow, he's my favorite performance in the movie. Nice, he's very very good. It's I think Tim Roth is ta- tasked with having more to do. Yeah. And I think he delivers an amazing performance in that right. movie. But I think there's just something about Keitel having uh, the struggle in the movie of like distrusting him a bit. And then he's, he's just fighting that distrust the whole movie. He is. And I think that's why he's my favorite performance. Yeah, no, it's a constant struggle for him. And I love that that, that Harvey Keitel, Mr. White, is a bad gangster. He's a murderer. He's a bad yeah. guy. And you feel for him. Yeah. And that's uh, due to some of the writing choices, but I think a lot of it is due to Harvey Cattell. Uh Maybe one of his best performances, too. Um, he's really good in that. Uh, and the way he deals with, like, Joe, who's like a dad to him, and he trusts the kids so much that he's willing to throw that away, you know? Those moments where he's, uh, I guess towards the end after they've both been shot up, it's uh, when he's when he's like holding Mr. Orange in his arms, and he's just like, Mr. Orange is crying, and he's sort of crying back at him. He's got, yeah. That's just powerful stuff for me. Like an angry cry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that actually fits in my number five. My number five is from Reservoir Dogs, and it is Tim Roth. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um... I totally agree with everything you're saying about what Harvey did there. I think why I picked Tim Roth over Harvey as a choice from this movie, uh, 
it has more to do, but I think it's. I think it builds more toward the movie. What you get, what he, he does one thing, and more to do in the sense that we talk about more to do while he's playing Mister Orange. But when he's the cop, um, those scenes are what really does puts it over the top for me with Tim Roth. Yeah. I talked about the joke scene of him practicing that joke over and over again. And uh, Tim Roth as a gangster before shit turns south is also really interesting, especially on a rewatch, um, like the diner scene and what mm-hmm. he's doing. He's totally immersed in that. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? He's uh, he's the first one to give Steve Buscemi shit about not tipping. You know what I mean? Which is probably why Harvey Cattell likes him, because Harvey Cattell also thinks that's right. a crock of shit. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean that that movie has uh, we talked about Michael Madsen, who's not like the best actor ever, but it's a top role for him. It's up there for Roth and Keitel too. Uh, probably Chris Penn's best role. I think it's the greatest performance, also of whoever played Mister Blue. Okay, I'll never know who Blue and Brown are. One's Tarantino, one's the old guy. Tarantino's brown. Okay, and I think the old the old guy's blue. Rando guy is blue. Yeah. He just dies immediately. I believe it's been a while <laughs> since I've seen that, but I think that's right. I think Tarantino's brown. Okay. So, yeah, nice. Reservoir. Number five. I think we both hit the two best performances from Reservoir Dogs right there. So, uh, number four for me is Uma Thurman. Pulp Fiction. Nice. (laughs) As uh, Mia Wallace. She's great. It's just such a... I mean, talking about somebody getting to do a lot in a movie. Holy shit. Fuck. And one of her best scenes, she doesn't even say shit. With the Urge Overkill scene. She's right. phenomenal. Dancing in around. That scene. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the scene that does it for me the most, but then you've got the overdose scene, too, with the that's shortly after. You got Jack Rabbit Slims, that dialogue and conversation between her and Travolta is. And the dance. And the dance, yeah. Um, and also the witty banner before the date starts, too, in the, when she's on the intercom. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. She tells the, uh, the Five Foxes story so well. It's yes. so good. Yes. She, that was a story that came, the kind of Tarantino thing that might make some people start to get like eye rolly, and she just kills it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she, it's, she's embarrassed to tell it, and she plays that embarrassment off really, really well. Um, yeah, that's a great choice. Can't, can't get it wrong there. What's your number four? My number four is uh, Melanie Laurent. Oh, she's so good. That's uh, Shoshana Dreyfus. The uh, woman responsible for Hitler's death. <laughs> and glorious bastards. Uh, true story. True story. We walked out of that theater, and I. It's funny, you and Ashley were talking about what's your favorite part. I often do that with Cass. Uh, what's your favorite part? And she was like, that French girl was fucking incredible. Uh, and she was. She was just. Uh, great chemistry with uh, the black uh, actor who she was in. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just great together. Yeah. Um, the montage, which almost made, that's the David Bowie song I was talking about, which almost made my top five music, uh, leading up to her deciding how they're going to splice the film together and all that shit is so good. Um, she's got her mind made up and, and that's what's happening. Uh, not to mention one of the best scenes Tarantino's ever filmed in the intro and the scene in the cafe. I think she probably undergoes... And I'm saying I'm not. I haven't thought about this. I haven't applied this thought to any other movie, so I might be wrong. You may have a better example, but I, I, off the top of my head, wonder if she has more character growth than any character in any Tarantino movie. 
from the beginning yeah. to the end. I mean, well, she, she goes is, from a scaredy cat. She's to... scared to she fucking takes ownership yeah. and uh, burns down all those Nazis. Yeah, I mean, effectively, if you think about it, if that happened in real life, she w- would have ended the war. <laughs> yeah, you know, which is crazy. Um, That's not how it ended. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I get most of my <laughs> history from film. <laughs> Tarantino. From specifically from Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. Literally the worst <laughs> yeah. person to get historical lessons from. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. I was super upset when she didn't get a nomination yeah. uh, out of that, <clears throat> too. So... I'll give her some love here. This is just as good, right? <laughs> Melody. Yeah. This is what she's worked so hard for all these years. <laughs> Dude, you can retire now. Fat asses of a, a glorified closet. <laughs> you, can, you can retire now. Two dudes in a closet have rated you the fourth best <laughs> at something. The Oscars only rated you sixth best as far as we know. It's <laughs> true. Well, <laughs> what's your number number three? Number three you? is uh, Pam Greer from uh, Jackie Brown. Nice. It was I. I just wrote down Jackie Brown at first for number three, n- not knowing who I was going to pick from Jackie Brown. Yeah, her or uh, Robert Forster. I love them both so much. But the name of the movie is Jackie Brown. It requires a performance. That role is. I can't imagine anybody else in it. Oh God, no. To, she needs vulnerability and toughness, Jackie. Does, yeah, so uh, something I loved that that Pam Greer did is the scene where Odell comes to kill her, and she flips it on him, and then when Odell leaves, you don't get that like you so easily could have gotten that like tough. She slings the gun on the counter and turns the lights on and like makes a drink. You also don't get that like. Shaky exhale, like right. Oh my god, she was just like, "Well, that's kind of the thing." I didn't love doing that, but it was what I had to do. That was kind of the vibe I got from yeah. it. Yeah, and that was uh, really well done. By and she Green. turns on that hustle of him so well. Yeah, too. Where she's like, "I'm looking out for you." I had to tell him, you know, I had to tell the cops this. Right. Think about it, and you know, she just leads him through it, and then she does the same thing with the cops too. Yeah, in the movie, great. she's so <laughs> fantastic in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's going to be true of all these choices, but, like, you're right. That is a character that was made for her, and then she was amazing in it. Yeah. So. Uh, My number three is also from Jackie Brown, and it's different. It's Robert Forster. (laughs) I like how we paired up our, like, two two of my favorite pairs from Tarantino movies. Yeah. Um, I did not recall him being good or really in the movie until I rewatched it, Um, which... Makes sense. I'm glad I rewatched it. I'm glad I had the wherewithal to know I needed to, because he is fucking fantastic. Uh, we've talked a lot about what he does with Pam Greer and, and how that chemistry is just so good. But I think his chemistry with, chemistry with Sam Jackson yeah. is so fucking good in that first scene when uh, Sam Jackson and Robert De Niro go into uh, Max Cherry's bail bonds. Yeah. Um, he's fucking just so good. His his uh, I often look at or try to look some at like acting without words, and I think Robert Forster does a great job when Sam Jackson says, "Who's that big dude in the picture?" And he's like, "Who's this my buddy? It's this guy." He's like, "He worked for you." He's like, "Yeah, but you're the boss." He's like, "Yeah," 
He's like, I bet it was your idea to take that picture. And he just looks back at him like, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> you can see him saying so much when he looks back at Sam Jackson. Uh, it's so good. And He's got that look in his, that like, that like, alright, I know what I'm dealing with. Yeah. And then you get a complete character change when he sees Pram Greer walking down the corridor when he's picking her up from jail. Uh, you see him, like, go from bell bondsman to, like, schoolboy, and he doesn't say much, and he doesn't really change that much, but you still just get that vibe coming off of him uh, so hard. Uh, he was really, really impressive in that movie. Without him and Pam Greer in that movie, I'm not sure it's anywhere close to how good it was. Mm-mm. You know who is... Just a weird throw-in. Do you know who I think Robert Forster looks a lot like? Who's that? Kyle Chandler. He does look like a Kyle Chandler granddad. Yeah. I can see that a little bit. I was definitely seeing that in some of those scenes. Nice. It's, must be fascinating for us. Who's your number two, Brent? Uh, <laughs> my number two is Christoph Waltz from Inglorious Bastards. He's also my number two. <clears throat> Same movie? Yep. Okay. Yeah. It's a... Uh, it's an all-time great supporting performance. Yep. There's a chance it's, yeah, one of the best supporting actor performances of all time. I can't in good conscience pick him from the other movie because I don't think he's the best supporting actor in that movie. Uh, from Django. That belongs to Leo. But uh, for this movie, I mean, also one of the greatest villains of all time. Yeah. Um, I think if I'm redoing AFI's top 50 villains of all time, there's no way he's not top 50. Right. No, he's definitely on that list. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the scariest, you know, humans I've ever seen in film. It's horrifying. It's like the only thing Hollywood knows what to do with him now is just like, Bond villain? Question mark? Yeah. Because he's so good as a villain in, yeah. in Bastards. Yeah. He just fucking chews up every bit of scene that he is in and just spits it out. Like... It's the only scene where Melanie Laurent seems to even take a little bit of a backseat because he's just sitting there at that breakfast table pouring milk, asking for more shit, and just, you can't take your eyes off him. And in that movie, it's like, who the hell is this actor? Yeah, but nobody knew. Never heard of this guy. Pretty pretty popular, I think, in Germany uh, and Europe, but yeah, nothing in the stateside. And fuck, he's great when he's not being a badass villain at the end. When he loses his shit, when he's getting the swastika carved in his forehead, I mean, his screams off camera are great. Mm-hmm. Um, he completely owns that movie and probably wins that movie, even though was, I was trying to not double up anything on either list, but I don't feel like with the Glorious Bastards, I just, it would have been bad for me not to uh, include both of them. And, and Christoph Waltz definitely wins the film, though. He's, he's so fucking good. It's, yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, Alright, my number one. I am doubling up. Nice. It's, uh... Going with the person I think of first when it comes to Quentin Tarantino movies. Samuel L. Jackson. Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Jules. <laughs> nice. That's just an all-time great performance this, for me. This list worked out so good, because I'm going with John Travolta and Pulp Fiction. Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh... Well, let's talk about it both together, then. Yeah. They're our number one picks. So, obviously, it's it's funny that you picked, knowing how you and I often, uh, I'm the one who typically is like, I, I don't know, got my arms crossed at a guy, at the at the performances who get the juiciest stuff to do, you know? Yeah. And I'm the one who, I'm always more impressed with subtlety 
and subtle performances. It's and, definitely Travolta if, and, you're, if, if either is. Right. Yeah. And this is the most over-the-top, <laughs> like, I mean, the... And I will strike down with vengeance. Is the furious anger? You flip yeah. you, you know he's flipping through that script and just be like, "Oh hell yeah!" Just I get to read, I get to do all this. Yeah, on screen, and it's so over the top. But man, it's it works, and they don't work without the other one, really. Oh no! I mean, they're constantly at each other's fucking throats. I mean, yeah. that that the movie is great. That's the Tarantino banter that we got accustomed to. Is fucking Vincent and Jules? Yes, talking. Back and forth about Royale with cheese and shit. That shit's memorable because it's Travolta and Jackson in those roles. Just knocking it out of the fucking park. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I love the what you're talking about. The more to do, less to do. Because it comes in like, just butts up to each other so many times in that movie. Where, you know... Samuel Jackson be like, "What the fuck, Vincent?" And Vincent will be like, "Oh, I think I shot Marvin in the face." Like, <laughs> it's the exact opposite acting styles. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so good. Fucking Sam Jackson's got my favorite line in Pulp Fiction is, uh, "You should be back back here picking up bits of skull. Why the why am I the motherfucker on brain detail?" Yeah, love that shit. Yeah, um, yeah, they're both just great. And then the the final, what ends up being the final scene, not chronologically, but in the film. Uh, in the diner, uh, that's that's why Jackson. Sam probably, Jackson just kills that scene. That's why he gets my pick. And, and Tim Roth honestly kills that fucking scene too. Yeah, it's the it's it's the come down off the the big, uh, you know he 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 talks about Ezekiel again, the Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. When he when uh, he starts breaking it down, yeah, and uh, I love to hear him talk about that. But then you know and he he talks about the. I love the line of uh, "I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd, Ringo." Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and I I I love his delivery of that. It feel it's the it is not the way you would think to end the movie, right? To end a movie with a dialogue that happens chronologically halfway, halfway through the story. Yeah, but yeah, Sam Jackson is the yeah he's really good. I mean, you get that. Again, I love now picturing them and those acting styles and those characters butting up against each other as often as they did. Um, yeah, and like I said, that's why they work so well is because like Samuel Jackson is turned up to 11, and I love it. Yeah. And that doesn't work if John Travolta is also like doing like John Travolta from Face Off. Right. Like, also trying to just like fight for scraps at the chewing scenery table. Right. Instead, you get great, like, uh, some of the best Travolta acting in that movie in Pulp Fiction, I think, is that Jack Rabbit Slims, uh, when he's sitting with Uma talking, and the two of them are great together, too. Mm-hmm. But uh, when he's, when he asks to try the milkshake, and he's like, I gotta see what the fuck a $5 milkshake tastes like. And he tries it, he doesn't smile, he just goes, yeah, it was pretty good milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing, like, right. nothing over the top about it. Like I said, he doesn't even fucking smile. He's just doing what he he's does. He's just doing that, like cool hitman thing yeah but so cool yeah which is again why I like the scene at uh the overdose scene is so crazy for him because the whole movie he's subdued even when you know the Mexican standoff is happening in the diner at the end and I think his only line is Jules if you give that motherfucker a thousand dollars I'm gonna shoot him on principle <laughs> like you know what I mean yeah like he's 
even in that scene, he's still just like a cool guy. But then you you get immediately punched back by Sam Jackson. Vincent, shut the fuck up! Uh, one of the best on-screen duos. Yes. Um, like, buddy cop or opposite cop, apparently, in Pulp Fiction uh, that I've ever seen. And I, I can't imagine it being too much better right. than those two in that movie. Uh, I mean, the whole Bonnie situation, the, them playing off each other is just so fucking good. Yeah. And Sam Jackson lives, so I guess we assume. Yeah. Because he's trying to be the shepherd. Uh, but him and the, I mean, the fucking big Kahuna scene. That's fucking iconic. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he's got, look at the big brain on Brett. Oh, look. Jackson has like... All like, the great lines. I mean, yeah. I feel bad for Travolta a little bit because he's flipping through and he's like, when do I get to say all the cool shit? And I was like, well, I get to talk about burgers. That's cool. Oh, well, they Jackson, supporting actor. Travolta, lead actor. I guess because he was in the Uma shit. Yeah. He had more screen time. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, the, uh... Yeah, Sam Jackson with the... When, when he slurps that drink, when he takes Brett's drink, and he... Or Brad's drink, yeah, and he just... just drinks all of it. Yeah. After he took that big <laughs> honking bite out of that burger, yeah. that is a tasty beverage. Yeah, that is, uh, God, that is just. They speak of where you come from. Yeah, he's got all this shit that everybody repeats now. Oh, that's right. Yeah. What? Do they speak what? No. Do they speak English and what? Yeah, that's right. What ain't no country I ever heard of. Yeah. That is just, that is, I have to imagine that as he's acting in that scene he's just thinking like this is the coolest shit I'm going to look so cool this movie is just going to get me so much ass or whatever like I don't even know maybe he wasn't looking for that but so many jobs so much ass so much drugs whatever Sam Jackson wanted in 1994 he's standing on that set thinking it's I'm getting it whatever I want I'm getting it yeah I'm going to be played at on fucking highlight reels for ages. And yet, John Travolta's the one who made the amazing gif. Of <laughs> confused Travolta turning around. <laughs> Where's the intercom? <laughs> yep. So, those are our top five, which really melded well. That was weird. We had three, one identical pairing. Yeah. And I did predict before the podcast started, I said, I think... We are going to have one identical choice on our top five performances, and I thought it was going to be Christoph Waltz. From, yeah. From it's hard to go against that. Yeah. The main thing with Travolta number one was I sat down to make my list, and I was like, well, I'm starting with Travolta. He was the first thing I thought of. So. Yeah. I, uh... And it goes to show, too, what we were talking about, about last podcast, about how Tarantino gets great performances, is that we have one similarity out of, you know, nine names, and, uh... I'm fine with all yours. Likewise. <laughs> yeah. Those were... Can't really argue with, with anything. No. The, uh, I'm trying to think of a bad choice. I can't really think of one. Um, The only thing I was going to maybe push back on is I don't I don't love Uma as Beatrix as much. Oh, interesting. I think... Well, I take that back. I think there are, there are, there's parts in two that I, I feel like... I don't know if it's the way it's written or the way she plays it that I don't know. Is that that's the one where she's like, and I'm gonna kill Bill. 
Yeah. Which, I don't know. That's some kung fu yeah. shit. Right. I don't know. I mean, the, I think the best performance that is not either one of our lists is probably Leonardo DiCaprio in Django. Um, yeah. He was phenomenal. He was just in it not a lot. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's like, even though Samuel Jackson and Christoph Waltz both are, I mean, my top two picks are both people who just, like I said, chew, chew, chew their scenery. DiCaprio gets to do the same thing, but it just doesn't work as well for me. It's it's it is really good. good. Talking about Sam Jackson, his second best, uh, and a lot of people think it's his best Tarantino role is also in Django. He was phenomenal oh, in yeah. Django, and he's really good in Jackie Brown. Yeah, yeah. Sam Jackson, good actor. Turns out, yeah, the fucker is underrated somehow. I think he gets kind of this like James Brown, like he just works. He'll do fucking anything. You know what I mean? Kind of mentality yeah uh, he's really fucking good and he's though. really good in everything he does make a lot of just movies yeah. that are just throwaway movies right but, um he is really good in them yeah almost he, he is really good as nick fury but i wonder how much time he has to devote to playing nick fury because he doesn't really do a lot as nick fury and i kind of wish he had more time to just do more cool stuff that may have been one reason why i wanted to do it there he's just, like i don't want to do just these movies right yeah, I want to do whatever the hell I want to do because I'm. Is he in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Do you need to answer off air? Uh, I won't say. Okay. Do you want to know? I do. Okay. I just <laughs> shook or nodded my head vigorously. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> yeah. N- now I will say that I think Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is. Close to my top five. Okay. It's just it is a wide, much wider range than he did as than he had to do as Calvin Candy. It requires yeah, more of him. I'm glad that he came back to do a Quentin film. Uh, you worry sometimes with people as neurotic as Quentin Tarantino. It's like they're gonna somebody's gonna get pissed and not want to work right. with somebody like that. But apparently he got Brad Pitt and Leo back. So Brad Pitt's really good in the movie too. Nice. Yeah, Margot Robbie. Uh, good. Okay. I, yeah. Without going too deep into yeah. it, I, I just don't want to wish. More. Yeah. Um, not as much as asked of her. It's got some good like character actors that I like a lot. Like Timothy Oliphant, I'm a big fan of. Uh, I'm sure he's done in the movie a ton, but uh, possible small role breakout in the movie is uh, Margaret Qualley, who was yeah, in yeah. The Leftovers. Nice. She's the daughter from The Leftovers. Really like her in the movie. Cool. Dakota Fanning, right? She's also in it. Yeah. yeah. Luke Perry? Luke Perry's the, in the movie. The late, great Luke Perry. Yeah. So. Cool, yeah. Go, go out and see that. That's why we're doing this whole week of Tarantino podcast. He's a big enough director where you can get by. You know, I mean, I think it's, you know, I think it's reasonable to do like a Tarantino week like we have. Yeah, no, and... Uh, Whenever any year he comes out with a movie, the odds of him getting an original screenplay Oscar or nomination are very, very high. He's got a pretty good track record of that. So He probably has better odds. Who would have better odds of getting a screenplay nom without anybody having seen the movie? Just like, what would you... Is there someone you would give better odds to for just being like... Uh, like, a, who's our West Wing guy? Uh... Did, uh, who, who's the, Aaron, uh, Aaron, Aaron, Sorkin. Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. 
Like, Aaron Sorkin's another guy who's like, Aaron Sorkin wrote a movie. That might get a nod. I don't know if it's better odds, but he's probably got, I don't know how many nominations he has, a shit ton. But like Woody Allen-esque. Um, the odds aren't there because he writes a movie every year. Right. But. And everyone's real icky about Woody Allen these days. He got nominated. I mean, he was, they were icky about him when he nominated for Midnight Paris or whatever. Yeah. I think it's worsened since then. His, the public view of Woody Allen. You think? For no. sure. No, I don't think so. I think it was just as bad. I think it was been bad for a long time. I've never known the public view to be good of Woody Allen. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, it's gotten worse for Tarantino too though so we'll see with the Me Too thing yeah. I mean that shit with Emma Thurman I read that whole Vice article it was not great um, and it wasn't sexual at all if you haven't read it and don't don't think it was anything like that it was pretty much just him pushing her too far punishing directorial style yeah yeah oh that's pretty, right she pretty, said she had pretty, a bunch of danger. she had some injuries she had some injuries and then she was felt forced to continue oh, okay um there was something specifically with the car in Kill Bill that he was like trying to get her to drive faster and faster. And Rings the car bell. wasn't safe. Yeah. And she didn't think it was safe. And the car people on set were saying it's not safe. And Tarantino had to make a deadline. And he was kind of like, look, bitch, we can fucking do this. And he was like, course with her. Yeah. Um, and I don't think she ever came out and was like, fuck Quentin. She was just like, that sucked. And I did not appreciate it. You know what I mean? Um, so we'll see. But uh, I would go check out the movie because guy's a great writer and a great director and I can't wait to see it yeah recommend it so those were our top fives if you're wondering why we're not talking about our homework we just uh, kicked it down the road a little bit so I don't even know what it is right it now. is a, I think still Synecdoche New York oh that's right I think uh, which was I want to watch a that start so that started as I was Can I just watch a twenty minute like watch mojo? I was alone with I was alone with Chris and I said, I'm looking for homework. I said, Have you ever seen Synecdoche, New York? And he said, No, I haven't, and I'd like to. And I said, Me too. And he was we were like, Yeah, that'll be a great choice. Everybody'll love that choice. And then we told it we told you and you it was like we had stabbed you in the gut. <laughs> I was like It's really good. It's just <clears throat> not the most rewatchable movie. I'm worried now. So Well don't rewatch it. <laughs> yeah. Don't start it on another TV right beside the one you're watching it on. Oh, I still need to do my experiment that Chris challenged me to, though. Remember this? What? Yeah. It's what is it? It's uh, it, it is Roadhouse and Kickboxer oh, at the I same think, time. At the same time, I've never seen either one of those movies. Nice. I think it's Kickboxer. Maybe it's Bloodsport. I don't know. Those are the same movie <laughs> it's in my head. Bloodsport, not Kickboxer. Okay. I don't know that Kickboxer's a movie. I believe you if you say so. I think they're both. Bloodsport and Kickboxer, I think, are both Quentin Tarantino. Or not Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> He'd be like, I wish! <laughs> <laughs> Although, speaking of things that are not Quentin Tarantino movies, uh, I was looking on Letterboxd at uh, the Quentin Tarantino directed section, yeah. and I found uh, uh, Kill Beatrix. Oh, weird. Somebody, th- somebody had made a mock-up poster for Kill Beatrix, the tenth and final film from Quentin Tarantino. Starring Zendaya as the little girl from Kill Bill. Huh. Grown up to try to kill Beatrix. And I was like, I really hope that's not his last movie. Uh, he doesn't need to revisit that. He established that the little girl was going to possibly get vengeance. And that's all we need. We yeah. don't need to see. This is those people who hate Star Wars, I think. Or the people who need another Kill Bill movie. Yes. 
It's like, well, you need to, we needed to see Leia practice. I just, you knew I was going to get Star Wars fandom bitching in to a Quentin Tarantino podcast. <laughs> Speaking of, though, are you... Uh, how likely is it he makes a Star Trek movie? <laughs> I don't know, man. He keeps talking about that. That came up again this week. It's uh, Simon Pegg had said, well, if Tarantino makes a Star Trek movie, it's not going to be like a Tarantino movie. And Tarantino responded saying, it's going to be exactly like a Tarantino (laughs) movie. Uh, I don't know. I also don't... I mean, I think the odds are just as good that he makes a Star Trek movie as the odds are that he only makes 10 films. Yeah. So... Having said that, 50-50 on both? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Am I going to be shocked if he makes 11 or 28 movies? No. Right. So, I don't know. But it's fine. He can do it. I mean, I'm not convinced Daniel Day-Lewis is done acting either. So Neither. I hope not. Let's still get my fingers crossed. Yeah. That's what we need. Tarantino and DDL to come out of retirement for each other. Oh, my God. I don't know if I can take that. <laughs> It was like when we first saw the trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Cassandra was like, I don't know about this movie. And I was like, the trailer was great. You didn't like it? And she was like, I don't know if it's safe to put Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio on the screen together so much. Yeah. There's definitely a gratuitous Brad Pitt shirtless moment in that movie. <laughs> well, I mean, use them if you got them. Or audible gasps in the theater. Just, nice. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> I was trying to come up with I was trying to think of who else is in the movie like uh, better than doing this Bruce Dern shirtless moment yeah is Bruce Dern in it it's got that yeah yeah Scoot McNary <laughs> <laughs> sorry Scoot I feel like out of all people in the movie Scoot might be the most likely to wind up listening to our podcast so I feel really bad true frequent guest of uh, it's definitely not the, Bruce Dern it's definitely not Bruce Dern <laughs> DiCaprio and Brad Pitt have a better shot than Bruce Dern. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> we haven't made it an hour yet. <laughs> Keep <It's>, talking. <laughs> uh, yeah, what else? Is, were there any other honorable mentions that you... That yeah, it was mainly really DiCaprio. That was really the only one that I wanted to mention because I felt bad leaving him off. Yeah, I had... Uh, like I said, Urge Overkill nearly made my song list, and, uh, oh, uh, Walton Goggins nearly made my performance list. Oh, yeah, Walton Goggins' Hateful is really, really, really good. Is it Walter or Walton? I've called him both, and I just keep alternating. I think it's Walter. I think it's Walton. It doesn't matter. Yeah, no one's only listening do at this point. Podcast. We've already finished our list. No one's listening to us. God, if you're still listening, you're David. <laughs> That's my... <laughs> <laughs> It is Walton. Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins, yeah. Like Walton County. He is from one of he's, he's one from, of the Walmart people. He's from one of the Waltons. He's from Walton Walmart. He's like John Boy. This has been Talk Talk. <laughs> That's what you say now, Brent. Uh let me check my notes. Ah uh, yes, this has been Talky Talk, the <laughs> podcast for the media by us dot com. But- um, you can uh, subscribe to us. That would be great. You can give us a rating of five stars. That's even greater. And uh, you can engage with us on Facebook. And uh, I think you know where to do. And uh, that's, Twitter. That's it. email. What? Yeah. We have Twitter now. We have Twitter. We do have Twitter. Tweet, tweet with us, please. Tweet, tweet. Uh, thank you to Willow Walkers. All them Willow Walkers out there, and all the Boo Reefas, and all you Boo Reefas. Bye bye.
Kicking rocks down old dusty roads Small town slowpokes long time ago Kicking out records of all the things that I know 